And we started with what is your gospel? What is your good news? How would you go about defining the good news of Jesus in your life? What do you understand by that? And on our welcome table up the back, if you're interested in doing it this week, put together a, a, a little sheet for you of lattice work with a little vine and the gospel according to, you can whack your name in there. But the idea of the lattice work is, as we journey over this month, is to begin to put in some of the strong beliefs that you believe about the gospel according to Tony. These are the things that make the gospel, the good news of Jesus, relevant to me, that impact me. This is the, the truth that I've experienced in my life. When Jesus came along in Matthew 5 to 7 and started on the Sermon of the Mount, what he was basically saying was, think different. The time has come. And it rattled a lot of cages he constantly would say, you have heard it said, but I say this. And it wasn't easy for a lot of people to take. Our understanding of the gospel, the good news, is based on really our understanding of salvation itself. What is the good news of Jesus? What does it mean to be saved when we think about it a little bit more? And you might be thinking about, well, okay, well, what does it mean to be actually saved? Well, sins are forgiven, I'll be justified, um, I go to heaven when I die, that's a cool thing. Or there might be other aspects of thoughts that you might think of when you say, hey, what's really important to me? When we think about the good news and when we think about particularly salvation, we really begin to think about, well, how does my understanding of eternal life or salvation affect me? Because in the ways in which I, I understand the good news of Jesus, the salvation aspect, it really impacts the way in which I think and feel and act, depending upon what I believe. And in Matthew 19, we find uh, Jesus in with a young guy, and he says this, if you have your Bibles. Actually, does anybody want to read it? Matthew 19, um, 16, following through to uh, verse 25. Matthew 19, 16 to 25. Anybody? Just give you a moment to find it. Don't be shy, jump up and we've got some Bibles here this morning, I hope. Thanks, Just. Good on you.
Thanks, Justin, for reading the King James Version. That's it. Good on you, man. So it's interesting in this passage when we're talking about what is the good news because this guy comes along to Jesus and he says, you know, and we know the story quite well if you um, have a Bible for, for a while and have been reading it, we come across this, this passage. And this guy's coming to Jesus and he says, hey, hey, um, and it's a really interesting story because it's, it's one of those questions we would hope that somebody would ask us at some point or other. Hey, how do I find God? We'd love that question for somebody to rock on up to us and say, how do I find, find God? And Jesus is supposed to say something like this in our understanding. Do? You don't have to do anything. It's not about do's and don'ts, but done in my name. Doing is all about religion, and it's a work-based theology of salvation, bro. That's not the gospel. I'm about to do it all for you on the cross. All you need to do is believe. That would sound about right, wouldn't it? But he doesn't say that. He says, obey the Ten Commandments. And Jesus agrees with him. The guy's been obeying a fair few of those commandments and we can dissect and realise you know, what commandments he's really picking up on and so on. But nevertheless, he agrees with the man that there's more to be done. And he says what? Here's this guy saying, what must I do? What do I need to do? I've been doing all this stuff and it, it's, it's been, been good. And now, but I know there's something, sh- I'm, sh- I'm short here. There's something else. And what does he say? If you really want to be perfect, if you really want to get in there, you, nobody wants to say it, do we? <laughs> Sell all your possessions. Come follow me. Isn't that a works based theology, Jesus? What's going on here? Are you supposed to just say, oh, well, but that's what he says. And so sometimes in our understandings of what the good news is, we can fabricate something of what we think it is, and it isn't. Perhaps we've been doing it for centuries, and different types of theologies that we can pick up on and so on, and we can pick a bit of this and pick a bit of that and so on, and before we know it, we have a theology that is my good news, but it's not really real. The backstory with this guy is that he's not asking, how do I go to heaven? He's, has, he's a Jew, he's a first century Jew, he has a bit of an understanding for that. They were waiting on the Messiah. They were waiting, um, more important, with a, for a form of salvation in the Messiah, the King, who would usher in the kingdom of God. And Jesus was claiming that he is this Messiah that they were waiting on. Like John's disciples come to him and go, oh, should we be anticipating or waiting for somebody else? He goes, no, you go tell John what you're seeing happen. I am the Messiah. The man is really asking, what do I need to do to be a part of that kingdom with you, Jesus? The kingdom of God with you. What do I need to do to be a part of what's happening? Because you're different. You're the Messiah. 
eternal life is hard to define in, in Hebrew culture. It's really about, if we can capture it, um, the, the life of the age to come. And all of that life of the age to come. Not this little bit or that little bit. It's more about, it's more almost qualitative rather than quantitative. And I'll explain that a little bit later on. Eternal life describes the life that we have in Christ. John 17.3 This is eternal life, that they know you. And the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now there's a difference in knowing, isn't there? Because we can just, I know you. But really what he's trying to capture here is a knowledge that grows almost like in a relationship or in a marriage. Where you start with some understanding and some of the the beautiful facts and so on of the the person in your your relationship. And as you begin to journey, there there are some real struggles and things that are, are happening. But you're committed to growing together. And all of a sudden, at some latter stage, you find a depth of love that just goes beyond mere attraction physical attraction there's something deep there and this is what Jesus is trying to say this is what he's trying to pick up even within this guy knowing the father and the son not just a knowledge but knowing from personal experience with God and the son not simply a head knowledge but more like the way you know a partner and verses 16, 23, and 24, he says a couple of things here in this passage. First of all, he says, um, he picks up on the word eternal life. And he says, uh, the man says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And then in 23 and 24, it changes a little bit. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter, not eternal life, but the kingdom of heaven. And verse 24, Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. He changes it again. And so what we're really trying to say here is that salvation, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's one. It's not separate. Now, we might struggle with that a little bit. Because here we're seeing that really there are three messages but almost one gospel that the life that you experience in Christ is a part of the salvation process. It's not just when I get to heaven, it's my insurance policy, I'm right to to go. It's much more than that. Last week we looked at Mark. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's arrived. And we find that as we journey through the New Testament, that even each of the Gospels have a little bit of a different approach or look towards what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or salvation is. They pick up on something a little bit different. And there's a a paralleling as well, but they all add their own little bit. There's almost like, wiggle room in understanding 
what Jesus has come to do. And consequently, the good news could be a little different to what you have grown up with. Different theologies or viewpoints of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And I want to just touch on a couple of things here because when we approach people and they say, well, what is it that, or when we are looking to invite people into the time of Christmas and so on, we're going to be doing Christmas crafts through December and it's a real opportunity just to invite people into a different experience of church but to be with fellow with believers. It's really important that we understand what the gospel is, what my good news is, and what I'm conveying to them. And over the years, there's been a number of different ones. For example, and I don't think I'm going to get through them all today, but the evangelical gospel. Now, that sounds like a good one. That sounds like us, doesn't it? But there are good bits and bad bits about it. Because the evangelical gospel, as defined by Wikipedia a good place, source to go to, is you're a sinner going to hell. God loves you. Jesus died for your sin. Believe in him and be saved. Sweet. That's so easy to do. I can just knock that out and done. That's the evangelical gospel. Done and dusted. But, or however... Salvation for Jesus isn't about getting into heaven, but heaven getting into you. It's not about going to heaven, but getting heaven down to you for personal transformation, eternal life, salvation, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. It's not just about what God wants to do for us, but also in us. It's not just about when we die, but also about how we live. It's not just about going to church when it suits after you've been saved, but being baptized into a family of brothers and sisters in Christ and seeing that as really pertinent to your growth. Not just to take it or leave it like the rest of our world does throughout all sorts of things. You know, if it suits me, I'm there. If it doesn't, I'm out of it. I want it easy. I want it accessible. It's just got to be sweet. If it goes over time, forget it. I'm gone. Evangelicalism is, believe it or not, in its definition, not interested in the apprenticeship with Jesus. There is no call to discipleship, but rather it's just an add-on. Just be saved and she'll be right, mate. And we've experienced that over a couple of decades, haven't we? Get them in through the doors, but don't worry about the exit door. It's there, but we don't mind it. It's a bit like, and I could come up with a few illustrations of this, but it's a, sometimes evangelicalism is, well, as long as I get enough frequent flyer points, or as long as I get enough flyby points, I'll be right. You know, I'll just, 
accrue them, and then eventually when I get to heaven, heaven I'm going to cash them in and see what investment portfolio I get from Jesus, which house I get, where I am, whether it's going to be on a hill, whether it's going to be beside Tony or not. I really don't know about that. And, you know, sometimes we approach the good news of Jesus a bit like that. Salvation is about knowing God and participating in the inner life of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's about a union with God and a healing of your soul. Transformation. Spiritual transformation. I'm going to practice these disciplines. I'm going to be your apprentice, Lord. I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to you know, understand what it is to be with you be like you, and find myself doing. Meanwhile, while I do this stuff that I'm practicing, the movement of God, that's your role, the Holy Spirit's going to come in and do some transformation. And before I know it, it's no longer about um, waxing on or waxing off, but I am the karate kid. I am the disciple of Christ Jesus, and I see him doing some other stuff. We understand a little bit about forgiveness of sins. Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians 15, for what I received I passed on to you, and he picks up on some things. Christ died for sins, he was buried and raised, and according to the scriptures in the Old Testament. He picks up on this gospel. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For I received and I passed on to you as of first importance, and here they are, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now he's talking about which Scriptures? the Old Testament. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day, again, according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cyphus and then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And in that passage, we find this idea or the understanding of sin, forgiveness of sin, according to the Scriptures. And it's really important because sin in its idea and its definition is about missing the mark. But in our understanding of the good news or the gospel of Jesus, what is missing the mark? Is it just about not knowing Jesus? Or is there something more in it in missing the mark? Is it about perfection? What if 
It's about union with God. Sharing in the inner life of the Father and the Son or the healing of your own soul. Becoming part of a Jewish Gentile family. All of that is sin. And so when we think about the evangelical gospel, it has some weaknesses and it has some strengths. And I wanted to pick up on the Reformed Gospel, which is about um, justification, really stresses justification by faith alone. Um, And we might do that next week. But it's interesting when Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says regularly, and I'll just pick up on this about the Reformed Gospel, it's justified by faith alone, not by works. And so on, and we understand that. Jesus constantly is saying on the Sermon of the Mount, if anyone hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice. He is like a wise man, and on he goes. So Jesus just doesn't say, oh, well, it's just about salvation in me on the cross and so on, but he's teaching about there's something more to understanding the kingdom of God that has come and salvation, we tend to break it up a little bit more and go, oh, well, no, that's a bit about discipleship. We prefer just to hear about salvation because it's a little bit easier. But one thing that I really wanted to pick up on today is the prosperity gospel. Why? Because it is a part of our current experience within the church. And we go, oh, no, I don't like that, but it is It's there. It's a belief that financial blessing and physical well-being are always part of the will of God. Oh, gee whiz, I like that gospel. That sounds like a good one. Thank you. I want to believe in that one. That the atonement is interpreted to include the alleviation of sickness and poverty, both viewed as curses that need to be broken through faith. via donations, visualization and positiveness. True. I like that idea, don't you? Let's be honest. That God loves you, he's for you, he won the victory, it's now your inheritance and your breakthrough is on the way. I love that stuff. That's great. I want to believe that, that God's favor is upon me and that sooner or later it's going to rain $100 bills. Actually, aren't we trying to get rid of currency? I'm not too sure. But anyway, credit, um, you know, FPOS cards or gift cards or something or other. That their meaning of being blessed is about faith, health, wealth and victory. Now, there are some truths, but not all of it is right. Hard prosperity doctrine is, uses the language like, if you give God $100, he'll give you back $1,000. I like that idea. I don't think it works, though. Well, it hasn't yet. 
And so we'd pick that up on some TV evangelists, perhaps, or different groups. Then there's soft pr prosperity doctrine, which we tend to grab a hold of a little bit more if we want to be truthful about it. It's the more therapeutic approach. Emotional health, well-being, relational flourishing, material success. We tend to capture some of this viewpoint in some way. We want God to come through and make life easier. Isn't that what being saved is about and being his child? What's your experience of that? Sometimes, you're going to hear it again and for a while, I can't go over, I can't go under, I have to go through to wax on and wash, wash to wax on and wax off. And to discover as I push through, as we know with our seniors and their experience of God over all of the, the, their years, that there's something deeper and more meaningful in knowing God and Jesus. Benny Hinn, not Benny Hill, Benny Hinn's nephew, Costi, said this about Benny Hinn's ministry. He said, Growing up was like belonging to the monarchy. Though Jesus was a part of our gospel, he was more like a magic genie and not the king of kings. Rubbing him the right way via money and faith would unlock your spiritual inheritance. God's goal was not his glory but our gain. His grace was not to set us free from sin, but to make us rich. The abundant life he offered wasn't eternal, but it was now. Hmm? We like that idea. We like that idea. But it's not entirely right. It's not the entirety of the good news of Jesus. What's good about it? That there's a loving God who is for you. We like that idea. That God can do miracles. We like that, that idea. There's a holistic view of the gospel and it flourishing. And prosperity doctrine really launched into the abundance of social services, of reaching people for Jesus. Though perhaps it wasn't completely honest with itself. It had a very strong view of multi-ethnic involvement in the gospel. And this sort of came out of, and we'll probably touch on it, we will ne next week, but liberation theology of God taking me out of poverty into a better state of living or wealth. But what's wrong with it is that Jesus isn't preached much. It sets people up for disillusionment, i.e. the best is yet to come. Tell that to Paul and the apostles. <laughs> and if by best you mean becoming a person of love as defined by Jesus, mainly through hardship, and if yet to come you mean if not in this life, then in the life to come, well, uh, that's, that's true. But if by best you mean health, wealth, and an, an easy, virus-free lifestyle, it's just plain heresy, isn't it? And so, just in concluding today, what is your gospel? 
What is it that you are grabbing your life and encompassing the life of Jesus with and saying, Lord, this is my understanding of the good news of Jesus? Because we don't want to set people up outside of there and say, oh, just come to Jesus and everything's going to be sweet. It's going to be great. Hands up, how's that going for you? You The good news of Jesus. Think deeply about that for your own life. And if you're interested in an activity this week, grab a form. If they're all gone, I'll have some more there next week. But there's just spaces for you to write in. Well, what is my good news according to me? There might be some stuff in there about what God has done, but it's about what you understand to be the good news of Jesus. Where do you sit with your gospel? Perhaps even choose a book this week, one of the the gospels, and just read through it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in it. Oh, and to discover something that might come out of that. Oh, here's an aspect of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the good news. But there's a lot there. There may not be just in that gospel. Read it over the next few weeks or days, whatever you want, and discover what God might speak to you in it. So here's Jesus with this guy, and he doesn't simply say, oh, but hang on, you know, you need to sell all your possessions and uh, come follow me, but you know what, I'll make it easier for you. You don't need to do that. You know, I'm just going to do deal with it all on the cross. This is a summation of this morning's message. And, you know, I was only jesting about that. He asked the guy to do something. And it's about discipleship. It's part of it. What do I need to be, what do I need to do, Jesus, in order to be a part of the kingdom that you have, the kingdom that has arrived, the kingdom that has come. And it's not just what we might see as salvation, but it incorporates us so much more. Come, follow me. And so, Lord, this morning, team, if you want to come on up, this morning, we acknowledge you and the journey that we acknowledge you, Jesus, as our Saviour and Lord. We love that bit. And our evangelical gospel and our reform, whatever it might be, amen, justified by faith, amen. But we recognize, Lord, that it's not one bit on its own. You call us into so much. And part of this journey of salvation or eternal life or the kingdom of God at work isn't about up there, but it's down here as well. And you invite us into, come, follow me. And in that, Lord, we discover a uniqueness in ourselves and you at work within our very lives and something that indeed when somebody says to us, what is it about you that's different? We can share with them. Well, let me tell you about the hardship I've gone through and yet how I've seen God at work in that. Let me tell you about the joy of my salvation. But let me not set you up for failure to think that it's one thing when it's not. And so, Lord, we would just pray for one another here this morning, person on our left, person on our right, 
that they might know you and the goodness of you as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. Because you are about love. You're not this God who's sitting up there with his arms folded, upset at humanity. But we're reminded that the word says that you are love. For God so what? Loves you. Loves you. That he had to do something that was really hard. By sending Jesus. And so we honour you in this place, Lord, as we've continued to worship you in word and in song and in fellowship together as we honour one another in this place as we come together. We pray for that person, as we said, on the left and on our right, that they might indeed encounter you more and more and more as they journey with you, as I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing a final song. If you need some prayer this morning, if the Spirit of God's been speaking to you and says, oh, we, here's something that I brought to your attention and you feel like that you need prayer, then I really think it's important that we do it now. We don't go away and go, oh, well, okay, yeah, I'll get around to that later on. The Spirit of God's speaking to you now. It's for now. So make sure you find somebody that you can pray with or come and I'll pray with you, all right? Really important that we do that. Let's stand together and sing. Our Father everlasting, your creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the
Everybody said to that, Amen, Amen, Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week.